Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. I am William Leonard, your host and investor here at Valor Ventures, a leading seed stage venture capital firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And this afternoon, I'm, I'm really excited to sit down with Prem Bhatia, co-founder of Cool Leaf. Prem, thanks for joining me today, man. How are you? Thanks, William. Appreciate it. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, before we, um, you know, before we dive in, I wanted to say, Congrats to uh, to you and the team on being named to the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies in the country. How does that feel for you? Yeah, it's awesome. It's um, I mean, it's it's a big validation for our business for sure. I think we've um, you know, gone through ups and downs for sure in our business, and it's nice to see external validation of you know the tough work that we've put in and the the uh, the grit of the team. So um, yeah, super thrilled. Yeah, certainly. How long has um, Cool Leaf been around? And I guess you can kind of touch on that and then just give our listeners a, a high level intro into the into the business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so it's kind of interesting. We uh, Cool Leaf itself has been around for, you know, quite a while, but we've been actually we like to say we've been three different companies essentially since we started. So when we initially started, we were something totally different than where we are today. So as a B2B SaaS platform, really where we got kind of like into B2B SaaS and really kind of like developed our technology even further to a point where we considered ourselves and our technology sort of mature enough, I'd say like really we made that pivot into B2B SaaS like around 2017 timeframe, 2016 timeframe. So you know, before that, we were doing some things in B2C and we were doing some um, interesting experiments around, you know, group team building and events that just taught us a lot, but was, you know, wasn't the end all be all in terms of where the business was going. And, you know, as we made that evolution, um, kind of launched out, like I said, B2B SaaS around that 2016, 2017 timeframe. And um, just to kind of give your listeners a background on what we do, you know, we are focused in on creating extraordinary experiences uh, for really uh, the majority of what we do today is focused on the employee experience. We're doing more and more with uh, other types of experience, you know, plays like customer experience, um, and, and, you know, product experience, but uh, 90 plus percent of what we do today is really focusing on the employee experience. And that's really kind of where we've, you know, paid a lot of our, you know, made a lot of our progress. And what we try to do is, you know, as, as companies think about this movement to hybrid and remote workplaces, and, you know, as we know, like now, you probably, you know, familiar with the idea that, you know, we've got like what, 60 to 70, I've heard as high as 90%, you know, of, of employees thinking about, leaving their job in the next 12 months, you know, depending on the statistic you're looking at, what we essentially do is we provide a way for employers to create an employee experience that's focused in on uh, really, uh, you know, crafting together uh, a masterful experience that, you know, ensures that you're listening to your employees, you're engaging them in the behaviors that matter, you're recognizing and rewarding those behaviors, and that you have a, a, a data set and analytics to be able to guide your uh, your engagement efforts and your employee experience efforts uh, further through through insights and and, and AI driven analytics. Um, so that's really kind of what we do in a nutshell. Yeah, I think this is a, a very uh, hyper relevant uh, space to be in right now, given the remote work and you know where this workforce is going to be situated at over the decade here. What's kind of your background, Prem? Um, how did you come to kind of start this company and? What what were some of the key issues that you saw at the onset of starting the business um, a few years ago? Yeah, so it's interesting. Like when we initially started, 
the business and and as we were kind of getting our initial momentum you know ramped up we're we're working with players that were kind of what i'd say at the leading edge of you know being top workplaces interested in you know their culture understanding best places to work and understanding that culture was a huge differentiator as time's gone on as, as sort of we were in the pandemic and and post pandemic now and sort of in the midst of this what we'll call kind of great resignation and this movement to hybrid and remote workforces with the challenges that go with that, you know, that's certainly been a big tailwind for our business in terms of um, accelerating some of that progress over to to kind of like remote workplaces and those that, you know, those organizations that might not have been thinking about these topics and challenges now starting to think about these challenges quite aggressively. Um, so that's changed the conversation for us quite a bit. You know, in terms of when we started, I think, you know, our entire thesis sort of from the beginning has been that, you know, employers should, you know, fundamentally care for their employees because it's just the right thing to do. And we're, you know, rooted in empathy um, in terms of what we do and rooted in sort of this idea that we treat people like humans. And, um, you know, there's there's just quite a bit still to be done in the world of, of business to help leaders with that just, you know, fairly basic concept of kind of understanding people, making sure that you're pulsing and listening to them, making sure that you're engaging and recognizing and rewarding them for their achievements. Um, you know, those are fairly basic concepts, but what we found is that the market timing for us was, you know, maybe slightly early and, you know, in kind of the early years, but as we've kind of, you know, evolved and as kind of the world has changed, um, it's kind of caught up to us where we are today. Yeah. That's a pretty interesting point you just mentioned there at the tail end of that, you know, how do you think about market timing as a founder? If you, there is such thing as being too early to a space, but was that really the underpinning of your first few pivots as a company? Yeah, when we first started, you know, we were a B2C company, actually. Um, so we were focused on the health and wellness space. Um, we had done some, you know, some some stuff around things like people registering for classes on our platform. There's a whole lot of different things that we were doing around health and wellness, um, primarily in the B2C space. Um, we were sort of competitive and familiar with ClassPass. We were, you know, when we first started, we were sort of like around that same kind of space. But, you know, what we learned and and I think what, you know, the challenge for founders, especially in, in regions like Atlanta, where you know, obviously things have changed a ton since that time, since when we were kind of like first starting out. Um, you know, funding was obviously not, you know, easily something that you could find. And, and it wasn't something that you could really kind of scale a business around when you're, you know, making a small amount of dollars per transaction and you know, need to scale that business. That requires a ton of funding. So, you know, when we went through that process of, you know, just kind of iterating our platform, iterating our approach, you know, we realized that monetization was the key, like kind of early on. Um, and so from the get-go, we've been relatively lightly funded um, as a business, but have been able to, you know, make more and more momentum, build a team out, um, you know, start really obviously seeing some some serious growth now over the last few years. Um, but I think, you know, in the beginning, it's just right now things have changed so much since we did that, right? So I think there's folks that are out there that can probably learn everything they want to from, you know, online resources and you know, Twitter's huge for this, right? Um, yeah. But really kind of learn how to monetize kind of from from day one. And I think B2B SaaS has changed so much. There's so much going on with, you know, bottoms up SaaS and sort of like transactional and credit card SaaS that easy, much easier, it's not easy, don't get me wrong, right? So it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. But I would say it's easier for founders now to get started and to kind of get that momentum, that initial momentum moving than it certainly was, you know, like I'd say five plus, six plus years ago. Yeah. And I think uh, a key factor of that is kind of at the, the university, the college level, a lot of schools now are offering entrepreneurship programs. Um, and 
of course, you can't really teach entrepreneurship, so to say, but you can teach the foundations of, of business and um, some of the core principles of, of building a company. So I think that's also been a huge point of access there as well. And, you know, as you think about where you've kind of leaned on advice from maybe other founders as you were continuing to build, um, you know, Cool Leaf at the early days, is there any unique points of advice that you could provide to some of our founders who were building at the early stage and maybe they're similar to Cool Leaf in that their business model right now is maybe B2C, B2B2C, but they're realizing that, okay, they're not getting traction in certain areas and should they pivot? You know, how do you think about pivoting if traction is maybe not what you anticipated it would be at the onset of selling? Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny, right? Like you think about how capital has, you know, the availability of capital has changed things quite a bit, but it has, what it hasn't changed is that it's, it's still really difficult, right? For, you know, founders who might even be able to secure some really kind of pre-seed or early seed kind of like funding. Um, it's still really difficult for them to, you know, get that initial momentum rolling. Um, but I would say is like, you know, the interesting about like, you know, people talk about product market fit and you think it's like some magical thing that happens that, oh, wow, we found product market fit, right? It's not that at all. In, you know, in our, in our experience, and I think in the experience of many founders that we talk to, it's like, it's very, it's very iterative and you find it, you can lose it, you can tighten it up, you can figure out ways to, you know, you know, tighten that product market fit as you go. But I'd say getting started is sort of that if you are a founder that has started and you're, you know, you're serious, you're committed to doing something that, um, you know, is going to be your own and, and you're, you're going to be the co-founder of this or the founder of this, like, and you're determined to kind of do that, you know, you're going to find a way, um, you know, I know that sounds like, you know, maybe that's not as useful, I think, but I think that what we found is there are folks that, that are out there that are finding ways to get things done. And they're finding ways to monetize things, whether that means services, um, whether that means complementary, you know, sort of partnerships that they can sort of find. Um, I think the world is like vast right now in terms of the opportunities that are out there and sort of like the ability that, that the, I think the plus and the minus of this is that now it's really easy to start a business, right? But the minus of that is it's like very hard to build a business, right? So you can start. But to build and to get that initial momentum has become, you know, incrementally or I'd say exponentially more difficult because you've got so many other SaaS companies out there um, that are sort of doing the same thing. And I think, you know, from my standpoint, it's like being authentic and sort of, you know, your approach to what you're doing and not doing it for the sake of sort of, you know, making millions and millions of dollars, which is, you know, great and fine, right? Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's awesome. But you know, those folks that are sort of in that for, you know, not purpose driven or not mission driven, they're going to run out of gas, quite honestly. And we've seen that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen that as well, right? It's just, yeah. you, you know, the folks that are sort of in there for the right reasons and, you know, you've got to be in it for the right reasons. You can't be a founder into this and kind of expect it to be like, you know, hey, I was working corporate and this is great. And like, I'm going to go and start my own thing. Just doesn't work like that. It's going to be really tough going for a number of years. And if you're mentally sort of like prepared for that, you know, you're going to be much better off. Yeah. No, I think that's excellent advice. Kind of thinking about the, the mental preparation side of things is something a lot of people, you know, maybe not prepare for in as much as they should because building a startup is not easy, right? I mean, as many times as you get told no, as many times as you have to iterate on the product and 
just continue to persist through a lot of the the hurdles that come with everyday building. So I think that's great yeah. advice, Prame. And, you know, I think you mentioned earlier that Cool Leaf is a pretty capital light business in terms of funding that has been injected into the business. And I wanted to get your your perspective on that. You know, how are you uh, you all able to to kind of build this company to scale without taking on a lot of uh, VC? Is there any unique insights that you can share around that? I mean, I wish I could say that, like, it was like, oh, yeah, we've got some brilliant insights on it. But honestly, <laughs> honestly, it was just sort of like the the choice was made for us a little bit because, you know, there there was not, like I said, like there was not a ton of capital available, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the early going. And so what, you know, to kind of give, you know, folks an insight, I mean, we did raise, we've raised a few rounds of capital. Um, mm-hmm. We've certainly taken on a little bit more um, over the last year and a half or so. Um, and that's, that's definitely helped us to, to scale up the team even further. But I think, you know, really um, the, the idea here is that if you're, you're trying to go out and raise money for a concept, right? That's not going to work, you know? And, and, and honestly, like even early traction right now probably isn't enough. Um, it's, there's just too many SaaS companies. There's just too many SaaS startups right now for, mm-hmm. you know, for that to make, I think in, in our estimation, still a difference in terms of, you know, the ability to fundraise. There is certainly a lot more capital sources available. I'd say like for founders that are out there that are looking at, you know, just VC, for example, and I know like this may be a slightly, you know, <laughs> I know you guys are valid, right? But in, in that, I think that's great. I think there's, you know, venture money that's out there for sure, but consider other capital sources, consider things like revenue-based financing, um, consider even things like, um, you know, angels and, and obviously like seed funds that are out there now that have like proliferated. And so there's a ton more capital sources out there to even get a small amount of capital in to, to kind of get your foot off the ground. Um, but, you know, the more that you can prove out without having capital, um, you know, the better off you're going to be. And obviously, like, the, the biggest example of that is MailChimp, right, which we mm-hmm. which we know is, like, the prototype poster child for, for bootstrappers. And But the, the interesting thing to note about MailChimp is, right, like, are you, are you willing to give 20 years of your life for something? Right. And are you willing to start in a services environment? Because at the end of the day, like, you know, when you look back at, what MailChimp did, it was really subsidizing the product through services and agency work. And so I don't think there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with starting with some services models that can help subsidize product growth and yeah. product development and can inform that very well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I think a lot of the companies that I see and speak with certainly do have that initial start as a business with the services model, some type of consulting or professional services is really their core revenue driver for a year or two while they're building out product growth, getting feedback from beta users and, and customers. And then they'll switch. And there's a point in the business where revenue is like 60, 40 um, split in terms of SaaS and services. And then that inflection point hits and then it just becomes a, a straight SaaS business. So, you know, that we've, right. we, yeah, we've seen that um, a few times. I think it's interesting. And I also think your point of just the differences in capital that was in the market back when you started versus now um, is certainly true. When you think about the role of accelerators um, and how they are really helping to contribute to a lot of growth for early stage companies, especially here in this region. And, you know, I know you've worked with some accelerators in the past, but can you talk yeah. about 
really the the value of accelerators that you've worked with and, and some experience um, that you can share as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, initially, like uh, way, I don't know, this was many years ago, but like uh, probably like five plus years ago, I don't remember the year it was, but we brought myself and uh, another guy that uh, who's a founder of a tech company here, Praveen Gunta. He helped me to kind of bring Founder Institute, which is a uh, tech accelerator, but it's kind of a different tech accelerator. It was really the focus was, you know, bringing folks who were in corporate that were looking to jump out and do their own thing. That's kind of the niche of Founder Institute. But I don't know kind of where that's ended up. I think that, you know, obviously we weren't able to kind of continue that as um, directors of that and someone else had taken that over. I think they may still be operating in Atlanta, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, it's based out of the Palo Alto area. It's the guy named Adeo Resi that started Founder Institute. Um, but we actually, so that was one. I think the second was, that was more me kind of like, to, you know, bringing in the mentors, bringing in the folks and recruiting people to actually join the class and um, made some great relationships, honestly, that I'm still in touch with some of the folks from there. Um, the second was really, you know, my, our company's participation in 500 Startups, which is now, I think they just changed their name to 500 Global, I think. But, um, you know, the idea for 500 Startups, like they're one of the sort of premier, I guess, tech accelerators in the Bay Area, like Y Combinator, 500 Startups, Techstars are typically the big three. Um, we got in, um, the acceptance rate was pretty low. I mean, I think when we got in, the acceptance rate was something like south of like 2% or something. So, you know, we had we had companies in our batch that were from places like Brazil and places like Europe. And so we've got, you know, uh, some friends that we made and we were still in touch with a lot of those folks. Um, great founders, many of them you know, obviously, um, some of them are still at it. Some of them, you know, have moved on to other things. Um, I think it was a great experience. The thing that I would caution folks about just generally with tech accelerators is, you know, that is a fairly sizable chunk of equity. Um, and so be really sure that that's something you want to do, um, you know, on your cap table. You have to be very cognizant of your cap table. Um, and, you know, to be fully transparent, I think, the idea of going through a, a program like that and, you know, giving up, you know, five, six, seven percent of, you know, equity in the company may not seem like a lot. And it seems like a great opportunity, I think, so for, for many founders. But um, I would weigh that carefully against sort of, you know, the, the idea of, you know, that 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 will become that will become something you're going to deal with if you do a rate, you know, end up raising subsequent rounds after, you know, bringing on that capital, which most companies do. And it is, you know, not it is not cheap and um, it does come with some prices. So I would say it, all in all, I think they're still great. Um, they're a great fit for many founders. Be really careful with the types of accelerators that you're going to be after. I think if you're going to go with the big three, um, mm-hmm. that's a good bet. I think anything outside of that, you know, um, you probably want to look at really carefully before making a commitment there. Um, and I've coached a bunch of founders that have been looking at opportunities around that. And some of them I've coached to say, yeah, I think it's a great, great opportunity for you. And some of them I've coached to say, you know, probably think twice about that. Yeah. I think that's super helpful just to be mindful of the, the, the smaller percentages of equity, but be cognizant that it also really adds up at the back half of your building, especially as you raise successive rounds of capital. So I think that's great advice, Prem. And, you know, kind of shifting back to Cooley here a little bit, can you, Kind of touch on the state of innovation, you know, in this performance incentive solution space that you all are building in and specifically like contextualize it 
to the remote environment that we're in now. Well, it's more so hybrid environment, I'll say. Some companies are sort of going back to the office, but are there any areas of opportunity for founders or investors in this space to capitalize on right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like it's a, it's a vast space, right? So the idea of, you know, even the space that we play in, um, some estimates, depending on kind of the market definition that you're using, you know, we do, we do some work in what we'll call employee recognition rewards. Um, but we, we also do quite a bit of work on performance incentives. And, you know, that's, you know, somewhere north of 45 billion on the kind of last, you know, kind of market sizing that we've seen, you know, and some would even say it's even larger than that. So it's a, it's a massive market. And I think the idea that, you know, there are multiple players in this market, if you think about how we play into this market, you know, there's, there's that employee recognition reward space. Um, quite interesting, you know, in the sense that we believe there's still quite a bit of room for innovation in that space. Um, there's multiple players that are out there that have been around in some cases, you know, 60, 70 years plus in this space. And, um, they've, they've followed a sort of, you know, non-tech type model and then they've layered and bolted on tech on top of there. And so the innovation has been somewhat limited in terms of, you know, a lot of large organizations and enterprise organizations still work with some companies that, that are like that. And they're looking for, you know, more innovative ways to kind of engage their employees. Um, and we've, we've been able to kind of go out and really land some great customers that are looking for better, more mobile friendly ways to engage employees on the programs that they're investing in to be able to do recognition rewards in a more seamless way. Um, and to be able to integrate those capabilities and those performance incentives into SaaS platforms. So, you know, the idea of being able to incentivize the sales team based on certain metrics of achievement in a CRM, um, we do that work. And we also integrate into Zendesk, for example, for customer support um, type metrics. And um, we also do integrations into LMS platforms like Litmos and Lessonly. So, you know, we are able to kind of take that idea that recognition and reward and incentives should be real time, um, should be meaningful, should be frequent. Um, and we've been able to apply technology against that um, to really be able to say, you know, when the way people work is changing and the idea that they're on SaaS platforms, you know, kind of day and night, in, in addition to the fact that there's qualitative recognition that's happening, we've been able to consolidate that onto one solid platform. And um, I think there's, you know, numerous opportunities for founders that are looking at the space and saying, you know, there's something interesting here. We certainly don't think about, you know, like some competitors sure are a little bit more directly competitive, but we also look at a lot of complementary and you know, sort of friends in the space that we we work with. Um, and so I'd encourage folks to, to kind of look at the space and say, you know, what's what's a good play? If that's something that you're interested in doing and you're passionate about, for sure, I would encourage you fully. Yeah, that's right. I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for entry point. This is a huge market here. Um, and certainly you all have really achieved scale. So I'm excited that, um, you know, there's growing emphasis on this space, especially as employee engagement in this hybrid world becomes top of mind for a lot of enterprises and, and Fortune 100s and Fortune 1000s as well. So really, really appreciate your insight here, Prem, as you um, shared a lot about, you know, choosing the right accelerator, thinking about business model at the early stage, you know, how to think about potentially pivoting your company um, to, to really see the traction necessary to, to be labeled venture scale. So I'm excited that 
you know, a lot of our listeners were able to hear this conversation. I think there's going to be a lot of value extracted out of your insight. So really, really appreciate you joining me here this afternoon, Prem, and look forward to, to seeing you all on the Inc. 5000 list again. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, William. Appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, look forward to staying in touch with you guys. Certainly, man. Cheers. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. You know, we're not just a podcast. We're a community and we'd love to see you at one of our digital or physical events. Go to valor.vc and sign up for an event that makes sense for you. We have events for founders and the investors who back them. Another event you might enjoy is Startup Runway. The Startup Runway Foundation is a Valor organization that provides $10,000 grants to founders who are women or people of color building next generation software products. Applications are free and we'd love to hear from you at startuprunway.org. That's startuprunway.org. And as always, thank you so much to the organizations that make this podcast possible. Not only Valor Ventures, but also Right to Market, a tech marketing and PR agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Startup Runway Foundation, and Atlanta Tech Park, Valor's headquarters, and also headquarters for over 100 local entrepreneurs building global businesses. See you next week. Please bookmark the podcast and join us.